folk singer is dead after she was attacked by a pair of coyotes. What is the monkey doing? Tell me what's going on. He ripped her face off! We actually have a trainer in the water with one of our whales. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. Baby Azaria Chamberlain was taken by a dingo back in 1980. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Man. It is the only true crime podcast on the entire internet where all the killers are real animals. Whether it's biting, scratchings, maulings, or clawings, we're here to talk about it. But before we talk about anything, I want to talk to you guys about something. Something that might turn in, hopefully, into some sort of potential sponsorship. I tried a new alcoholic beverage last night. I found at the uh, local bottle shop, or the bottle as we call it in Australia, uh, some Jack and Coke-style beverages uh, known as Wild Boar. Have you seen these things? Wild Boar. Um, it's basically just like a, a, you know, a whiskey and Coke or a rum and Coke kind of deal. The trick here is that they put an exorbitant amount of alcohol in the cans. So if you think of your regular sort of um, Canadian Canadian club or, you know, your uh, Summersby apple cider, that's like probably 1.2 standard drinks in your, in your can, in your 375 milliliter can. Uh, guess how many, guess how many goddamn standard drinks were in this regular sized 375 mil can I had last night. If you're thinking three standard drinks, you are wrong. This little bastard had 4.4 standard drinks in it. How is that possible? How is that legal? Okay. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm floored. I'm absolutely aghast. I'm agog as they would say in uh, in <laughs> in Les Mis. I'm agog, I am aghast that this beer, this alcohol has so much uh, beverage in it. Other way around, I'm still drunk. That's why I'm talking funny. Uh, no, I think that that would be a great um, product to to advertise on this here podcast. You know, it's it's uh, tangentially animal related. You've got the boar in there. I love boars. I love alcohol. I'm a mild alcoholic. So uh, if anyone knows anyone who works at Wild Boar, or, um, you know, like, send them my way. Tell them I want to. I want to advertise on my show with their product. And if you're out there and you're thinking about uh, getting absolutely fucked up, uh, may I recommend <laughs> four point four standard drinks? And you think they only come in a three pack? They come in a three pack because I believe that's it's like thirteen standard drinks. If, if you if you smash them all out, I couldn't do it all in one go. I had to mix it and cut it with um with Coke Zero. Uh, anyway, that's this is the part of the podcast where I talk about alcohol for five minutes. Uh, now, welcome back, everybody. Today, it's the big six zero. It's our 60th episode. Guys, if our, ep- if our podcast was a year every episode, our podcast would just about be ready to, to leave his wife and start a relationship with a 24-year-old nurse. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We're talking about a very special person this episode. You know, this, this podcast is all about animal attacks, animal-human confrontation. But every now and again, we will do a spotlight on an individual human uh, who has made their way into the into the into the legend, into the lore, into the storybooks when it uh, comes to you know animal related themes. Today we're talking about the Mountain Man, Grizzly Adams, undoubtedly the most famous of the Mountain Men. Grizzly Adams was a pivotal uh, part of a North American. Uh, you know, folklore and pop culture. Uh, he, so many interesting facts. He's such an interesting individual. I cannot wait to get into this story. So uh, you sit, buckle up, smash a wild boar. Do not drink and drive. Do not do that. I will hit you if you drink and drive. Drinking driving is bad. Uh, you can drive with, uh, no, I'm, I was going to make a joke. Don't do it. Don't do it at all. Okay, let's sit back and listen to the story of Grizzly Adams. So, Grizzly Adams was an American frontiersman, trapper, and bear trainer who lived during the mid-19th century. His real name was John Grizzly Adams, and he was born in Massachusetts in 1812. He gained his nickname Grizzly due to his remarkable ability to tame and handle grizzly bears, which was a significant part of his career. He was known for capturing young bear cubs and raising them, developing a close bond with the animals. He traveled around with his tamed bears, performing shows and demonstrations which garnered him fame and popularity. In 1856, a book titled The Adventures of Grizzly Adams was published, written by Theodore H. Hittle, 
The book, based on Adamson's life, portrayed him as a heroic and kind-hearted figure, further adding to his legendary status. It's important, of course, to note that there is also a fictional character named Grizzly Adams who was portrayed by actor Dan Haggerty in the 1974 film The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams and its subsequent TV series of the same name. This character was loosely based off the real-life Grizzly Adams, but the TV series took artistic liberties and embellished the story for certain entertainment purposes. And I have had a thought, this TV show, The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, I'm thinking it might be a great thing for us to watch, you know, an episode at a time and, and uh, do a little do a little TV review on our Patreon. So maybe uh, get subscribed to that and you might find some episodes of that popping up. So, let's get into him. John Boyden Adams, he was also known as James Cappen Adams and Grizzly Adams. He was a famous California mountain man and a trainer of grizzly bears and other wild animals that he captured for menageries, zoological gardens, and circuses. Grizzly Adams was born John Boyden Adams to Elazar Adams and Sybil Capan on October 22nd, 1812. His parents were of English... His parents were of English descent, born and raised in Massachusetts, a suburb in Boston. He received little to no education. Adams began as an apprentice in the footwear industry at age 14. At age 21, he left that occupation seeking to satisfy his true love, the outdoors and nature. He signed on with a company of showmen and a, as a zoological collector. John hunted and captured live wild animals in the wildest parts of Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire, where he honed his craft as a woodsman, survivalist, and marksman. However, Adams told the author Hittell, his hunting and trapping career ended abruptly when he received several back and spine injuries from a Bengal tiger he was attempting to train for his employers. We are straight into it. At age 21, this guy is getting mauled by tigers and we love it. Not wanting to become a burden on his family, after a year of recuperating, he returned to his cobbler's bench in Boston, Massachusetts. In 1836, John married a woman named Selena Drury, and they had three children, and I love these names. Arabella, lovely, Seymour, and I love this one especially, Arathusa. Arathusa, what a... Can you imagine what an Arathusa looks like? <laughs> oh, the, the, the brawniest of women. <laughs> In 1849, with the California Gold Rush in progress, John invested his life savings of over $6,000 to buy a large supply of footwear, and he had it shipped to St. Louis in Missouri. Now, his intention was to sell his footwear at great profit to the thousands of 49ers who were passing through St. Louis. Now, if you don't know who, what a 49er is, that's okay. I didn't either. A uh, 49er was essentially uh, people who joined the Gold Rush in the year 1849. Now, through no fault of his own, unfortunately, uh, John Adams, he lost his entire investment uh, in the St. Louis War Fire. Now, I had to look into this. The St. Louis Fire of 1849, it was a devastating fire that occurred on May 17th, 1849, and it destroyed a significant part of St. Louis, Missouri, and many of the steamboats using the Missouri River and uh, Mississippi River and Missouri River. Captain Thomas B. Taji was killed while he, uh, trying to blast uh, <laughs> while trying to blast a fire break. Taji Street was named after him. Just a few little facts I found about the St. Louis wildfire. Now, unfortunately, um, John Adams lost his life savings in that fire. So shortly after, John's father committed suicide. Now, some historians believe it's very likely that John's father had invested heavily in John's plans. Uh, and unfortunately, when they fell through, uh, yeah, his father killed himself. I couldn't find any concrete uh, information on how he killed himself. Uh, so I'm just going to imagine the most dramatic thing I can think of, which was that he killed himself. I, I believe it was suicide by cop. Yeah, he ran into cop with a, with, a, with a barber's knife. Now, at this point of his life, John felt like he had nothing to lose. So he had a touch of the gold fever, like everyone did in America in this time of uh, its history. And he had a yearning for adventure. He always had this yearning for adventure. He knew that even if he failed to recoup his lost investment of $6,000 in the mines, he could at least support himself by hunting and trapping the animals in the untapped wilds of California. He left his family and his relatives behind in Massachusetts, and he joined the 49ers on their way to California. On his journey via the Santa Fe and Gila trails, he twice survived near-fatal illnesses, and he arrived at the gold fields of California in late 1849. 
Adams tried his luck at mining, hunting game to sell to the miners, trading, and finally ranching and farming. He would swing between financial extremes. At times, he was incredibly rich, and then just as quickly, he would be flat out broke. Late in 1852, having lost his ranch outside Stockton, California to creditors, and that will be a recurring theme, by the way, he took the few items he could salvage and he headed to the Sierra Nevada mountains to get away from it all. With the help of some local Miwok Indians, and that is, I'm quoting um, the source here. I know you're not supposed to say Indians, but that's what they've called them. I'm just going to, I don't know what the right thing to say is. Don't yell at me. Miwok Native Americans. Let's say that. Adams built a cabin and a stable, and he spent the winter alone in the Sierra Nevada mountains. John, at this point, was an expert hunter, and his New England training in shoemaking and leathercraft gave him the necessary skills to fashion buckskin clothing and moccasins, the clothing that he actually adopted as his normal attire for the remainder of his life. He also made his own harnesses, back saddles, snowshoes, and other items that he and his neighbors needed. Adams traveled great distance from his California base camp on foot, on horse, or on mule, or in an ox-drawn wagon. In 1853, he made a hunting and trapping expedition some 12,000 miles, which if you're a metric person like myself and most others, is 1,930 kilometers, which is fucking far. From his base camp in California to Eastern Washington Territory, which is now what we call Western Montana. While there, he caught a yearling, a yearling, sorry, which I guess is just a young female grizzly that he named, and this is very cute, by the way. I'm going to do a little sidebar. He names his animals some very cute things. So he caught this young grizzly bear, I think it was about two years old, and he named it, ready, Lady Washington. Aww. Now, even though the bear was only a year or two old and it was already very, very wild, he somehow managed to tame Lady Washington and he taught her to follow him without restraint. Later, he trained her to carry a pack and then to pull a loaded sled. Now, in its later years, she would even cuddle up next to John to keep him warm in freezing conditions. Eventually, and this is one of my favorite facts about Grizzly Adams, Lady Washington allowed John to ride on her back like a horse. Isn't that something else? That might be one of my favorite facts that I've learned in my research about Grizzly Adams, that he used to ride a bear like a fucking horse. This dude is incredible. (laughs) Anyway, in 1854, Adams retrieved a pair of two-week-old male grizzly cubs from a den uh, of their mother near the Yosemite Valley. He named one of them Benjamin Franklin. Very cute. Benjamin Franklin would go on to save John's life a year later in 1855 when a mother grizzly bear attacked Adams. Now, this will come back. John and Ben both bore the scars of the attack for the rest of their lives. Now, the head injury that John received in this attack led to his demise only five years later. We'll get to that later. In the summer of 1854, John traveled to the Rocky Mountains to hunt and collect more live animals. He and his hunting companions sold meat, hides, and some live animals to the emigrants along the emigrant trails near where the Oregon Trail and the Mormon Trail split away from each other, which is in southwestern Wyoming. They also sold and traded at Fort Bridger, Wyoming, and Fort Supply. During this expedition, Lady Washington had an amorous encounter with a Rocky Mountain grizzly. Ooh, we're getting sexy up in here, folks. The mating resulted in a cute male cub that was born the next year when she was with Adams in Coral Hollow on the eastern side of California's coastal mountains. Adams christened her bear cub General Fremont in order of John C. Fremont. So we have three bears so far. We have Lady Washington, General Fremont, and Benjamin Franklin. I tell you what, this guy had some creative naming patterns. In the winter of 1854, Grizzly Adams caught another grizzly bear, a huge California grizzly, in the largest cage trap that Adams had ever constructed. John named him Samson. When the bear was later laid, well, sorry, was later weighed on a hay scale, it tipped the beam at 1,500 pounds, making it one of the largest grizzly bears ever captured alive. During 1855, Adams and his companions hunted and trapped game in the California Coast Range Mountains, joined, uh, journeyed to the Kern River Mines, and then proceeded south, southward to the Tehachapi Mountains. Uh, Tehachapi? Yeah, Tehachapi Mountains and Tejon Pass. 
Returning from the Tejon Pass area, Adams followed the old Spanish route via San Miguel and San Jose. Due to the interest of the curious people in the group that John met, uh, John set up impromptu shows of his bears and other animals he had collected on his summer excursion. These shows became a precursor to his circus career, and they were conducted in San Miguel, Santa Clara, San Jose, the Redwoods, and then finally in San Francisco. In 1856, John retrieved all of his animals from Howard's Ranch near Stockton in California, where he had left them to be cared for while he was absent. He then opened the Mountaineer Museum in a basement on Clay Street in San Francisco. Due to notices that T.H. Hittle printed in the San Francisco Daily Evening Bulletin, Adams' show drew many more patrons. Soon thereafter, Adams was able to move his menagerie and museum, which he now called the Pacific Museum, to a better location. The new building could accommodate larger audiences and had more room to house animals and displays. By by 1858, he was referred to as the Barnum of the Pacific in a San Francisco newspaper. Now, unfortunately, in January of 1858, tragedy struck when Noble Ben... The, the bear that you will remember saved his life. It was John's favorite grizzly. It died from an illness of which there was no cure for at that time. Adams was devastated by this loss, but he continued to show his other animals daily. He also continually added more and more animals and other attractions to his museum. Now, unfortunately, in 1858, due to overextensions, he lost his museum building to its creditors. However, he was able to save most of the menagerie, which he relocated temporarily to another building. During Grizzly Adams' exhibition of his grizzly bears and other trained animals in San Francisco, he was working with Hattel from July 1857 until December 1859. Hattel listened to Adams narrate his adventures almost daily for an hour or so, and he took careful notes, cross-questioning Adams to assure that he had all of his facts straight. Adams knew and was apparently flattered by the fact that Mr. Hattel intended to write a book based upon Adams' talks. Also during this time, the artist Charles C. Null took a keen interest in Adams' grizzlies and working with Hattel prepared illustrations, one of which is at the head of one of these articles, that would eventually be used in Hattel's forthcoming book. One of the paintings also became the model for the grizzly bear on the California state flag. That's another amazing fact that I was really blown away by. In 1860, after Adams had relocated to New York, Theodore H. Hattel published his book, The Adventures of James Capan Adams, Mountaineer and Grizzly Bear Hunter of California in San Francisco, and then later that year in Boston. Unfortunately, at this time, Grizzly Adams' health was deteriorating, and he knew that his life would soon end. Since he had been away from his wife in Massachusetts, forget this, over 10 years, he wanted to earn enough before he died to leave her a comfortable sum. He made arrangements to relocate his menagerie and his collections to New York in hopes of joining P.T. Barnum as part of his show. On January 7th, 1860, Adams and his menagerie departed from San Francisco on the clipper ship, the Golden Fleece, on their way to New York City via Cape Horn, a three and a half month voyage. In New York City, Grizzly Adams, still representing himself as James Capan Adams, joined with Barnum to perform in his California menagerie in a canvas tent for six weeks. His health continued to decline, and after his doctor told him that he needed to get his affairs in order, Adams decided he needed to sell his menagerie to Barnum. However, disregarding his doctor's prognosis, he managed to persuade Barnum to agree to let him perform with his animals for another 10 weeks for a $500 bonus. Adams's willpower held out for the full length of the contract, although by the end of it, he could barely walk on stage. From the proceeds of the sale of the menagerie and his $500 bonus, he had accomplished his goal of providing a comfortable sum for his wife. Now, if you remember back, all the way back into 1855, I told you that Ben had saved Grizzly Adams's life from a attack from a mother grizzly bear. Remember that? Well, unfortunately, and I did tell you that it was going to end in his death. So during that fight, uh, his scalp was dislodged and he was left with a silver dollar-sized impression on his skull just above his forehead. Now, he survived the attack, okay, but he, he basically had his brain exposed, essentially. He had some skin, but he didn't have any brain. Well, he had some brain, but it was kind of... It was kind of poking out a little bit, yeah. 
So anyway, after the attack, Adams had made uh, pets of several grizzlies, and he often wrestled with them and trained with them in exhibitions. Now, in one such bout, his most delinquent grizzly, which was General Fremont, named after John C. Fremont, it struck Adams in the head, and it reopened his wound. This was subsequently re-injured several times, eventually leaving Adams with brain tissue that was exposed permanently. Now, this might not have been enough to kill him, but the damage was further exacerbated when Adams was on a tour with a circus in New England during the summer of 1860. He had a little monkey that he was trying to train, and he had him on his shoulder, and the monkey, um, for lack of a better term, bit him on the brain. Uh, Yeah, it it bit his brain. (laughs) So, unfortunately, after more than four months performing in this California menagerie, complications from his injury led to Adams' inability to continue with the show. After completing his contract with P.T. Barnum, he retired to Neposat, Massachusetts, where he died of an illness, potentially meningitis, resulting from the monkey bite on his brain. He died only five days after arriving at the home of his wife and daughter, who, remember, he had not seen for 10 years. Upon hearing of Adams's death, Barnum was reportedly deeply grieved. He was so deeply grieved that apparently Barnum was the person who paid for his tombstone where he was buried. Uh, Adams was interned at the Baypath Cemetery in Charlton, Massachusetts. Also buried there are his mother, his father, his sister, his wife, his son, and one of his two daughters. Grizzly Adams left an enduring legacy in American folklore and pop culture. In his few years of hunting, John Grizzly Adams was an accomplished man with astonishing feats. Richard Dillon considered him to be the greatest California mountain man of them all. And Mr. McCracken, another reporter, labeled him as the fabulous Mr. Grizzly Adams. Modern hunters with high-powered precision weapons rarely get up close and personal with their game the way that Adams did. He never hesitated to resort to hand-to-paw, to knife-to-claw combat when necessary, and he captured more grizzly alive in those few years than any other man has. In addition, he captured a wide variety of other wild animals, totaling in the hundreds for menageries and zoos. Although Grizzly Adams did kill a number of bears, including grizzlies, he did so for food or for their hides or furs. He was not a conservationist as the term is used in modern terms. He did, however, genuinely love the outdoors, wildlife, and unspoiled nature. He hated waste. The Western Hall of Fame celebrates Adams' accomplishments in 1911 with the Heroes of California honor. John Adams also had a number of other things that became important in his legacy, including a number of zoological gardens. His mountaineer menagerie was the largest collection of live and mounted animal specimens on the west coast of North America. This collection became the Pacific Museum in San Francisco, where he and his animals entertained and educated people from far and wide. He was referred to as the Barnum of the Pacific in an article published in a San Francisco newspaper. His exhibitions also inspired others to campaign for the establishment of zoos, particularly resultant of which was the establishment of Woodward's Gardens and later the famous Fleischhacker Zoo in San Francisco. On the East Coast, the Zoological Gardens in New York Central Park was established in 1860, and in 1899, the Bronx Zoo was also opened as a result of Grizzly Adams' uh, influence. Now, one of the other things in this whole story that made me so interested and, and was such an interesting fact was that one of his bears was part of the inspiration to the flag of California. So, as I mentioned before, Charles C. Nall, he used Adams' grizzlies as models and made drawings, etchings, and paintings of grizzly bears in various scenes. His sketches, including one at the top of the article that was published, was used to illustrate Hittell's book about Adams. Niles' 1855 painting of a grizzly uh, of a grizzly uh, portrayed, sorry, portrayed by Adams's bear Samson, which the mountain man had brought to San Jose and San Francisco to display that year. This image ended up being the source for the California bear flag for which the official design specifications were put into law in 1853. The legislation also established the grizzly as California's state land animal. Although he was not ever educated as a naturalist in college or university, Adams learned the habits and facts of grizzly life firsthand through his observation while hunting and trapping them. Because of this, he came to know more about the Californian grizzly bear than anyone else. The information that Adams narrated to Hittell was published in the book The Adventures of James Capan Adams. His lore has been indisposable to naturalists, including Storer and Wright, as well as to many historians. Now, Adams 
was such an important figure in American pop culture and folklore, and I've been able to sort of boil it down to five key reasons. Now, one of those reasons was he was he was a pioneer in animal training. John Adams was one of the early pioneers in the field of animal training, particularly with grizzly bears. His ability to tame and train these formidable creatures was a unique and impressive skill that garnered widespread attention and fascination. He was an entertainer and a showman above a lot of other things. Adams trained bears uh, in shows and demonstrations, and, and they were a popular form of entertainment during this time. People were captivated by the idea of a man interacting closely with wild animals, especially fearsome grizzly bears, and his shows drew large crowd. Now, he was also a pop culture influence. The book Adventures of Grizzly Adams and the subsequent TV series and films based on the character of Grizzly Adams contributed to his endearing legacy in pop culture. These portrayals solidified his image as a rugged mountain man with a deep connection to nature and to animals. He was a promoter of wildlife conservation. Adams' experience with wild animals, particularly bears, allowed him to gain insights into their behavior and the challenges they faced in the wild. He often advocated for wildlife conservation and the importance of uh, preserving natural habitats for these animals. And above all else, Grizzly Adams was a symbol of the American frontier. He represented the spirit of adventure and survival in the untamed wilderness, reflected in the fascination and lure of the American frontier during the 19th century. His story captured the imaginations of many and became synonymous with the rugged and adventurous spirit of the Americans in that era. And that is the story of Grizzly Adams. There is so, so much interesting information out there about this guy. I didn't even get into his family, right? So he, he was born in this Massachusetts area, and he, he comes from a really famous family. So John Adams, uh, obviously Grizzly Adams. There was also another John Adams, which was the president of the United States, and a John Quincy Adams, who was his son. Um, these guys, they were related to, to John Adams. There were so many famous people from, from his family. His family was an incredibly important uh, uh, powerhouse in the early years of the uh of, of the uh of the of american history um i believe one of his ancestors was like a a patriot who was part of the uh the, you know uh not the, the revolutionary war i think and then yeah obviously two presidents his family an extremely important family um in those early days of america including its foundation as well i i this is such an insane dude guys right like i don't think i've hit on that fact enough this guy was just, <laughs> he made shoes, and then he went and was like, ah, fuck this, I'm gonna go be a mountain man, I'm gonna go do a gold rush, and he went out there, and he just, he was like, collecting animals like they were Pokemon, he was just wandering around, oh, there's a bear, I'm gonna name it General Fremont, uh, oh, that's another bear, that's Lady Washington, he just collected these animals, he collected hundreds and hundreds of animals that he eventually put into menageries, what a, what a badass, right, and I know there are a lot of people saying, oh, you know, he killed animals, blah, 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 Back in those days, I think that that is the best you could do in terms of conservation. Yeah, it was going to kill me. I killed it. Otherwise, I'm going to leave it alone. It can come with me to a zoo. It can sign some autographs, but that's it. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, his bear was the the, uh, model for the California state flag. That is so cool. Um, You know, and and yeah, he was friends with P.T. Barnum. Now, P.T. Barnum is a real rancid sack of shit. We're going to talk about him one day in the future, I'm sure of it. Uh, But at the very least, he seemed to have a heart when it came to his friends, like John Adams. So like, yeah, like when he died, apparently P.T. Barnum was the one that paid for his headstone. Beautiful. There's so much information. And I also think, remember a while ago, we did that list of uh, fatal bear attacks in North America, Grizzly Adams came up on that list, and that's kind of what made me interested in this. Yeah, he was bitten on the head by a bear, it left a hole the size of a quarter on his head, uh, and then uh, he was fine, and then a monkey bit his brain. I don't think there are many other people in history who can say, you know, cause of death, monkey bit brain. (laughs) That's, That's a very rare thing to have achieved, monkey bit brain. Guys, we are going to take a break now. We'll maybe hear some ads. If you hear some ads, buy whatever they're selling uh, to you. If not, go have a wee, have a beverage, have another wild boar, and absolutely get shit-faced. And we'll meet back here in a few moments. And we are back. Guys, I forgot to mention uh, a pretty fundamental part of this information here. If there's any confusion over the names uh, in the story, John Adams, Grizzly Adams, James 
C. Hatal, whatever his name was at that time. So here's a little information on why this is confusing. So Theodore H. Hattel, who I mentioned a number of times, he's the guy who wrote uh, the book about Adams. He met Grizzly Adams in 1856 at Adams Mountaineer Museum in San Francisco, California. Now, Adams first represented himself as William Adams. And shortly after that time, he told Hattel, incorrectly, that his name was James Capan Adams, an alias that he maintained until 1860. He also told Hittel that he was born on October 20 in 1807 in Maine. The 1970s movie and TV series used the same name, James Capan Adams, incorrectly conveyed by a Hittel. The real John Adams did not have a middle name. His mother's maiden name was Capan. He did, however, actually have a younger brother named James Capan Adams. Information on his Massachusetts death record also indicates that his name was John and gives an estimated birth year of 1813, based on an age of death, which was 48 years old. His tombstone lists his first name as John and his date of death as October 25, uh, 1860 at 48 years of age. That's just if you were confused by the names, because I know at a certain point he started representing himself as James Capan Adams, and uh, I mentioned him a few times by that name as well. So that's kind of what happened. He, For some reason, he lied about his name. I don't know. Back in the olden days, I guess you could just do that. You could just say your name was something else. Also, I don't think I, f- I harped on long enough that he left his wife and child for 10 years. And apparently they still had a good relationship and he came back to them. And then he fucking died five days later from a monkey bite on the brain. This guy is such a character. Okay, we are moving on now to the scratch of the day. Scratch of the day, of course, it's the segment where we look at news articles in the news this week that have anything to do with animals, and uh, we talk about them. We have three stories today. We have a person who was attacked by a shark, a person who was attacked by uh, a bear, and a person who was attacked by, we don't know, it's a mystery. And let's end with the mystery. So we'll start off today. The grandfather escapes a six-foot shark attack after punching it in the fucking head. I added the swear word in there. They didn't have that, obviously. They didn't have that in the headline just punching in the head, but I, you know, I added it in there. Jess Thompson writes this for Newsweek. Uh, Here is the article. A man in his 70s was attacked by a shark off the coast of Australia this weekend, punching it in the head to escape. Richard Stubbs, 77, was a great Australian name. Richard Stubbs, 77, was snorkeling around 160 feet off the shore in Yallop, God, what is this name? Yelling up, Yelling Up Lagoon in the southwest of Western Australia when the six-foot-long Wobbegong shark attacked him, biting him on the leg. The grandfather then punched the creature in the head until it let go, escaping and making his way back to shore with the help of friends he was swimming with. The shark was a Wobbegong, a group of 12 species of carpet sharks native to the waters of Indonesia and Australia. These creatures are usually bottom dwellers, spending most of their time near the seafloor, feeding on other smaller fish and crustaceans. All of a sudden, something bit me and hit my leg hard, and I thought, what is this? Stubbs told Australian local News 7 News. I was very frightened. I didn't know what to do. It was very instantaneous, Stubbs added. The shark had left a deep gash in his right calf. Stubbs thanked his friends who helped him get out of the water. Just thinking about it, the whole thing, the whole occasion that arose, I'm just lucky to have the support of the people around me, he said. I love them. (laughs) Aw, cute. Wobbegong sharks usually grow to lengths only around four feet, but some species, including the spotted and banded wobbegong, can reach maximums of ten feet long. They have a set of whisker-like lobes growing around their jaws, which serve as both a camouflage in their hunting of prey and a method of sensing their surroundings. Usually, wobbegongs pose very little threat to humans due to their lack of aggression, but there have been reported attacks on people on occasion when they come too close. The Florida's Museum International Shark Attack File has 31 Wobbegong attacks on record, none of which have been fatal. The attack on Stubbs came only two days after, uh, sorry, two days before another swimmer was attacked by a great white shark in Australia. A man in his 20s was bitten on his leg around 2,000 feet out from Garnabutton Beach, also in Western Australia. The young man survived but lost a lot of blood, a local outlet, Seven News reported, and local beaches were shut down due to, until further notice. There you go, a Wobbegong. I've never heard of them attacking people, but apparently it does happen. I've seen a Wobbegong in real life, actually. Uh, 
little side story. Um, I w- we in Newcastle we have uh, these beautiful uh, ocean baths. I don't know if they're very common in other parts of the world. Essentially, they're big swimming pools that are filled with ocean water that are right next to the ocean. Uh, in fact, I believe I believe the one in Merriweather is the largest ocean bath in either the Southern Hemisphere or the world. I know that's a big difference. Southern Hemisphere is like not that big a deal because there's not much down here. Um, but if it is the biggest in the world, that is a, that is a big deal. Um, Beautiful ocean bars. I love going to them. I love swimming uh, in them. Fantastic. When I was young, my parents took me there and I, you know, I wore a scuba, like a snorkel uh, and a scuba scuba mask while swimming. And I swear to God, as I was swimming, I saw a fucking wobbegong on the bottom of the pool and I fucking freaked out and I ran and I swam and I ran to my mom and said, there's a fucking shark in there. I didn't swear because she hit me, but I said, there's a shark in there. Uh, uh, and she didn't tell anyone. She just was like, all right, we'll leave. Okay, all right then. Uh, I think that was irresponsible of her, to be completely honest. Uh, then again, I'm, maybe I'm misremembering and maybe I didn't see a Wobby Gong. Maybe I saw some other kind of ground-dwelling fish, but it still scared me a lot, okay? And I didn't expect to see it. So, uh, yeah, that is my... I swear to God that happened. It's in line with my monkey story that I've told with Carl Gregory a lot of times. I swear I saw a monkey at the University of Newcastle running around. And I swear I saw a Wobbegong on the on the bottom of the Newcastle Ocean Baths. Anyway, that's that story. Wobbegong, by the way, I again I didn't know they were uh, dangerous at all. Also, I believe that Wobbegong is um constantly like when you eat fish and chips in Australia, a lot of times there's like rumors of like, oh yeah, like that's actually Wobbegong because <laughs> they get caught up in nets and stuff like that. So if it's true, Wobbegong are delicious. And uh, you know what? If they get 31 of us, that's probably a fine price to pay. Okay, moving on to our next story. Grizzly bear attack suspected in West Yellowstone death. This report was from Monday, July 24th. Uh, so it was quite recent. Written by Alexander Harrow. Okay, and this is from The Inertia. Uh, TheInertia.com. Okay. TheInertia.com writes, A woman was found dead in Montana on Saturday, and it's suspected that she was killed by a grizzly bear. According to reports, the victim was found on a trail near West Yellowstone, a tiny town in Montana just west of Yellowstone National Park in the Custer Galatian National Park. Sorry, Gallatin. Gallatin, not Galatian, Gallatin. Yesterday morning, a woman was found deceased on the Buttermilk Trail west of Yellowstone following an apparent bear encounter, wrote authorities with Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks. Investigations confirm grizzly bear tracks at the scene and the investigation is ongoing. The Custer Gallatin National Forest has issued emergency closures of the Buttermilk area for human safety. Please avoid the area. Bear sightings are not at all uncommon in this particular area, and there are precautionary measures one can take to stay safe in bear country. For example, carrying bear spray and knowing how to use it properly. It's key. Traveling in groups during daylight hours only and avoiding any carcasses you might find and making noise as you travel are all good things to keep in mind. If you do happen to run into a bear, do not, under any circumstances, approach it, especially if there are cubs involved. The recent death comes during a notable rise in Montana's grizzly bear population, as well as a higher number of sightings than usual. The Yellowstone area has long been the center of animal attacks on visiting tourists. There is a link to that, and we're going to continue reading. Uh, This story is about boars that have gored people at Yellowstone. Yet another person visiting Yellowstone National Park has been injured after a bison gored her. Um, This is obviously uh, a link that the article has put in to uh, kind of explain how the rise in uh, human-animal confrontation has risen. So we will read this because that other story was quite short. According, uh, this was, sorry, this was written um, on the July 18th, 2023. So not super recent, but recent enough. Uh, Okay. Actually, that is quite recent, isn't it? I misread that. I thought it said 2022. That's recent enough. According to the National Park Service, the victim was an unidentified 47-year-old tourist. The woman, who was visiting the park from Phoenix, was walking with a friend on the northern shore of Lake Yellowstone when they ran into two bison. They turned around to distance themselves, but one of the bison charged at them and gored the woman. The woman sustained significant injuries to her chest and abdomen and was transported by helicopter to Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center, NPS said in a statement. As of this writing, park officials hadn't given an update on her condition, nor had they commented on how close the tourists were to the bison when it charged. The last time a bison attacked someone at Yellowstone was in June 2022, less than a month after another attack. 
In the past few years, there have been more than a few wildlife run-ins with tourists who unwittingly or willingly, in some cases, got too close to the animals in the park. Despite warnings from park officials and posted signs, the allure of a close encounter proves too much for some people on many occasions. In one case, a woman was charged after purposefully getting as close as possible to a grizzly bear and her three cubs. That is dumb. She was sentenced to four days in jail and had to pay a pile of fines as well as receiving a one-year ban from the park. Yeah, that's probably the best case scenario for her. The NPS advises that all, car, all tourists stay more than 25 yards away from all large animals, bison, elk, bighorn sheep, deer, moose, and coyotes, and at least 100 yards away from bears and wolves. Bison can be particularly aggressive during mating season, which generally runs from about mid-July through to mid-August. And even out of the rut, though, it's a good idea to stay away from any and all wild animals, whether it's on land or in the sea. There you go. Uh... We've done a whole episode on Yellowstone National Park. You can check that out. I think that was the first episode we did this this year, episode 40. It was a whole, a whole 20 episodes ago. Wow. Look at us go. Okay. Our final story, missing man's body retrieved. No signs of crocodile attack. Pugmark mystery continues. Now, I will say just based on this, it's from the Rathrahumi.com, which makes me think this is going to be like an Indian place. Um, so forgive me for the terrible uh, pronunciation of a lot of names. I'm just getting out ahead of that. On the 28th of July, 2023, this was published. The body of a farmer who went missing from a riverbank in Wayanad was found in the river under mysterious circumstances. The body of a man was, who was 55 years old was found four kilometers away from the place where he went missing. Although a crocodile attack was the initial suspicion, the body showed no signs of attack from a creature. Hence, mystery regarding the death continues. The man had gone missing from the riverbank near his house on Wednesday afternoon when he had gone to collect fodder. The body was retrieved at 3pm on Thursday. Pug marks of an unknown creature and signs of the body being dragged across the grass intensified the mystery. After the man went missing, searches were conducted until 6.30pm on Wednesday, but he could not be found. On Thursday morning, lifeguards, fire rescue, and emergency teams carried out a massive search operation. The body was found by the Turkish lifeguard. Okay, must be uh, in Turkey. The body was found by the Turkish lifeguard committee near a temporary bridge connecting uh, a temple to a, another province in the area. It, I am <laughs> straight up avoiding saying any of these names, guys, so forgive me. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. The... Um, the body was found by the Turkish lifeguard committee near a temporary bridge connecting Malakad Temple to Ganhindagar. That wasn't too bad. It was lying underwater in the deeper section of the bridge. Clothes believed to be that of the man were found 100 meters away from the house on Wednesday. The deceased's wife said that the man went to collect fodder after removing these clothes. Uh, the finding of a torn shirt with a collar separated strengthened the suspicion of an animal attack. Following this, the scientific team of police also conducted an investigation. The victim's shirt and his undergarments were found on the body. Police chief uh, Padham Singh, the DYSP Abdul Sharif, visited the site. The police conducted an inquest, an inquest and moved the body uh, to a medical center for a post-mortem procedure. Wow. That is an interesting story. A lot of mystery there. I'm still not 100% sure where this is. Let me um, let me do my best, okay? Uh, the uh, Meenagari. Let's just Google that really quickly. It sounds like it's in India, but it could be like in Turkey. Um, Meenagari. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's in India. Unfortunately, I... Yeah, it's, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's see. Okay. Oh, it's a town in India. It is in India. Okay, it's in Indian. So, what animals could be the result of this? The crocodile attack did seem likely, but unfortunately, because there was no uh, bite marks on the animal, that theory has kind of been thrown out. Uh, what other animals are in uh, India that we know have taken people before? Obviously, tigers and leopards spring to mind as well. But also, India is home to sloth bears. I don't know in this specific region what is local to there. Um, obviously, India is a big, big country, and not all animals are located everywhere. Um, so yeah, I mean, a, a tiger 
crocodile, leopard, or sloth bear, any of these animals or more could be responsible. If there's an update to this story, I will let you know next week or whenever that update comes. Definitely need a follow-up pop on that one because that is insane. It's a very interesting story. We don't get missing people a lot in these um, stories. Usually they they show up with a lot of scratches on them. Uh, speaking of scratches, that was our scratch of the day. And let's move on to our final subject of today. Let's talk about a beastly biography. In my backyard, an animal that uh, all Australians are told to avoid, we're talking about the greater blue-ringed octopus. We haven't talked about this animal before, but it is one of the most dangerous animals in Australia, particularly to children who go um, playing in rock pools. So the greater blue-ringed octopus is one of four species of highly venomous blue-ringed octopuses belonging to the family Octopodidae. This particular species of blue-ringed octopus is known as one of the most toxic marine animals in the world. The greater blue-ringed octopus, despite its vernacular name, is a small octopus whose size does not exceed 10 centimeters, arms included, for an average weight of only about 80 grams. So it's quite tiny, very cute. Its common name comes from the relatively large size of its blue rings, between 7 to 8 millimeters in diameter, which are larger than those of the other members of this genus and help to distinguish this type of octopus. Its head is slightly flattened uh, dorsoventrically, which means front to back, and has it finished in a tip. Its eight arms are relatively short. There are variable ring patterns on the mantle of the... Um Oh, God, how do I say this? Luna, <laughs> Luna, <laughs> Luna, Luta. You know what, scientists? Name them just fucking what they are. It's a blue ring octopus, okay? Jesus. <laughs> the blue rings, which number around 60 per animal, are spread throughout the entirety of its skin. The rings are roughly circular in shape and are based on a darker blotch than the background color of the skin. A black line with thickness varying to increase the contrast and visibility borders the electric blue circles. The blue rings are an opossumic adornment to clearly show all potential predators that the octopus is highly venomous. The octopus also has charismatic blue lines running through its eyes. It's a beautiful animal if you look at photos of it. Um, yeah, these animals, we are told not to fucking touch them. Uh, where does it live? Well, this, this one in particular lives um, in a few places. Um, in Asia and also Oceania. It's countries that it can pop up in, uh, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, Indonesia, Philippines, and Australia as well. The greater blue octopus is a benthic animal which has a solitary way of life and is widespread throughout tropical and subtropical waters of Indo-West Pacific from Sri Lanka to the Philippines and from Australia to Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands and Vanuatu. The animal prefers shallow waters with a mixed seabed such as rubble, reefs and sandy areas. As is true for all octopuses, it leaves in a burrow and only comes out to search for food and or a mate. The entrance to the shelter is littered with the remains from meals, empty shells and crab shells and legs, and is easily identifiable. Um, the blue ring octopus diet typically consists of small crabs and shrimp. They also tend to take advantage of small injured fish if they can catch them. It is known hunting behavior. It consists of pouncing on its prey, seizing them in his arms, and then pulling it towards its mouth. It uses its horny beak. <laughs> Sorry, horny. I got distracted. Horny beak <laughs> to pierce through the tough crab or shrimp exoskeleton, releasing its venom. The venom paralyzes its muscles for required for movement, which effectively kills the prey. Uh, it is a least concern in, in terms of population threat. There are lots of them. Um, let me see if there's this information here for you. Um, there's not a lot of information. It weighs between 10 to 100 grams. We do not have any idea how many individuals are left in existence. Probably lots and lots and lots. Um, yeah, let's see if there's any more information about the uh, southern blue ring octopus, because unfortunately this biography is quite, quite short. Um, no, it not, not, not quite a lot. Um, blue, ring, blue ringed octopuses, if you live in Australia... Or if you know anyone who lived in Australia, you've been taught about these to death um, when you're in primary school. It's like what one of the number one things they teach you. Don't go into rock pools. If you see a blue ring octopus, for the God's sakes, don't touch it. There are so many videos of Americans who come here and they see these little beautiful octopuses in the water and they think, oh, that's fantastic. I'm going to, that's fantastic. I'm going to put it in my hand. I'm going to put it on threads or my TikTok. Uh, no, bad idea. Do not do that. Guys, that is the end of our Beastly Biography. Thank you so much for joining me on this 60th episode. 60 episodes, my goodness gracious, Jim. Um, 
It's been a wild ride. As always, please, please, please follow me on all the social media bullshit. Uh, Of course, you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, all over the shop. I have an email address, all kinds of ways to get in touch with me. Yeah, and we also have a Patreon as well, patreon.com slash maneaters. If you're interested in uh, supporting the show a little bit more, please do. I love to have you. And like I said, maybe we'll do a little bit of a series where I watch the uh, episodes of the the Grizzly Adams TV show and we we talk about them, yeah? Uh, So if you want to go to that Patreon, Patreon.com slash maneaters to support me and to support the show. If you want to send me an email, maneaterspod at gmail.com. I've had a few people reach out in the past and it honestly makes my day. So please don't be frightened. If you think, oh no, he's not talking about me. He's not talking about me. I shouldn't send an email. I'm nobody. I'm not a big, big enough fan to do that. Do it. Okay. I'd love to hear from you. Even if it's just to say hi, even if it's just to say, I listened to the episode and I fucking hate you do it anyway, because it means that I'm getting something back. I'm getting some, some feedback and some, it's, it's the, the, my voice is bouncing off into your ears and you're at least hearing something. And that's, that's what I need to know. Of course, you can find us on facebook.com slash man. It is pod on Instagram. That's the main place to go. Instagram at man. It is podcast. Also, if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Jimothy chaps on Instagram. I'm also at Jimothy chaps chaps on threads if you want to follow me there for some funny stuff i haven't used threads very much recently but um still worth giving it a go thank you so much for being here thank you for being with me for 60 whole episodes wowee i remember at the beginning of the year the goal was to do 80 episodes by the end of the year i'm a little bit behind uh behind track but um, you know my uh my time is is freeing up pretty soon i have a show that's closing next weekend uh so i should have plenty of time to look into this join us next week for another episode of man eaters i can't wait to see you there have a fantastic weekend as always stay safe because as we've learned oh baby It's a jungle out there.